Hello, and welcome to the Golf War Podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. How important are teachers in the fight for inclusive education? And how can universal design help both in the classroom and outside of it? And should all parents be fined one cow for not sending their children to school? Believe me, it happens. Here to talk to me about these issues and more is Tsitsi Chitaika, Associate Professor in Inclusive Education and Disability Inclusion at the University of Zimbabwe. Tsitsi is a visiting Associate Professor at the Universities of Sheffield and Witwatersrand and sits on various international boards as a disability and inclusive education expert. She has conducted research and consultancy work in many countries and advocates for inclusive education and disability inclusion and does her utmost to make sure that no child is left behind. Her research interests revolve around disability and how it intersects with areas such as gender, health, social inclusion, leadership, safeguarding and religion. And her many publications include the 2019 Outstanding Global Taylor and Francis Award-winning Handbook in Social Sciences, the Routledge Handbook of Disability Activism. Tsitsi Chitaika, welcome to the Golf 4 podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. It's nice to meet you again, this time virtually. <laughs> We'll get straight off with the with the first question. Um, what does inclusive education mean to you? Uh, I have a very simple definition of inclusive education. I don't want to complicate it. For me, inclusive education, I want to understand it from the uh, definition of inclusion. You know, when someone is included, it means you are respected and uh, people know your ways. So when it comes to education, inclusive education, for me, it's an education that is no barrier, that breaks barriers so that everybody can get onto the inclusive education ship. So if you break the physical barriers, communication barriers, uh, institutional barriers, that is policies and our how we do our programming and break all those barriers and then everyone can get in onto the ship, then for me, that's inclusive education. And when they are on the ship, they should also understand that they are in partnership. No one is a lesser human being when they're in there and they need to participate. So it's not just about bringing people onto the ship. So our ship is the school. When they get into the school, to what extent are they participating in order to make sure that they achieve their intended outcomes? So for me, it's an education system that embraces diversity, that leaves no one behind mm, through capacitating communities, capacitating teachers, capacitating the whole system so that at least we talk of um, inclusion where everyone is included and no one is left behind. So for me, that's a simple definition of inclusion, inclusive education. Yeah, well, it sounds a very, it sounds a very good one. How does that relate to what you're seeing happen? I'm particularly interested about what's happening in Zimbabwe, because you're based there. So how does that compare to what you'd like to see and what you are seeing? Thank you very much. I would like to say, um, Richard, inclusion for me is a process. And there's no way two or three countries can be at the same wavelength because it's a process. And also it depends on when we started the process. So I always say inclusion, 
if you've got the intention and then you start working on those intentions and getting those milestones, for me, you've already started the inclusion journey. So when it comes to Zimbabwe, I would not want to say we have, we have achieved everything because no country will ever achieve everything. But I think as a process, which started way back, I think around uh, late 80s, that's when we started a few in a pockets of inclusion, we could see them because initially we had uh, special schools, most of them were special schools, but now inclusion started to cripple in. And at this stage, if I measure where we started from, we, we have achieved quite a lot based on where we started. But at the same time, I would want to say a lot needs to be done um, in terms of ensuring that no child is left behind. But if I'm to compare where we started and where we are now, I think we are, we are on, on track because uh, our national disability policy that we had last, last year, 2021, it is the whole section, I think it's 3.9, focusing on education and how to ensure that those marginalized groups are included, especially children with disabilities. And it is 37 sections under the 3.9, 37 subsections. And the good thing about it, it's, um, it's not, it has an, implement, an implementation plan, but now they are kind of strengthening it and broadening it up so that it becomes very clear and it's good indicators. So I'm just hoping that this year, as we roll out that, uh, a lot of changes can, will be seen. But um, I think comparing to other African countries, I think we are way, way, we are way, way ahead in terms of inclusion. Okay. Yeah. Um, you call it a process. Can you just explain that? Why is it so important to think of it as a process rather than as an end goal? Yeah. The challenge of thinking it as an event or an end goal, it means once you get to a certain level, you think you've done it all. But for me, if it's a process, as I indicated earlier, you look at every milestone that you're achieving and you celebrate it. Because I think most of the countries, especially in Africa, they are not doing inclusive education. It's because they don't see it as a process. Was for me, if a school doesn't have any child with disability, and next time I got there, there's a child with disability, even if the teachers are not yet capacitated. For me, social inclusion has already started. So it's part of inclusion. And so we go to the next step. What do we want to do? We need to be pro pro proactive, but we need to understand where we are coming from at the same time. So when the child is there, other processes can still start and you know you, you just go on and on and on. So for me, it's, it's the whole process and there is no way you can say now I've achieved it all. You still mm -hmm. you know, challenge your brains, you still look at the processes and see how you can actually make it better, you improve it because it's a process. But if it's an end goal, there's a time when you think, oh, I've done it all. I suppose that's the risk in thinking, well, it's finished now, it's all done, it's it's over, yeah. we don't have to work on it anymore. If you see it as a process, exactly. then, well, the very nature of schooling, you're getting a new cohort of children in every year. If you see it as an end goal, you think you've done everything, different children come in with different needs and, and different abilities, and you, you're stuck, right? Maybe, Richard, if I can add on to that, I yeah. think another challenge that schools or teachers have is if they have maybe three, four children with visual impairment. Every child might need their own package and a different, despite having the same impairment. So it all depends on you know, your understanding 
of how best can we ensure that every child benefits? Because you might have four children with visual impairment. Someone needs low vision. Someone needs maybe large print. Someone needs Braille. Someone doesn't even know how to use Braille. They can use computers. So there are all sorts of things that you need to, to think of. Some can even use their pen and, and write when they have low vision. So it all depends on where we are starting from and understand that children are different. Yeah. And that brings me on to my next question about intersecting barriers as well, because you've done a lot of research on how disability, as you've mentioned, intersects yeah. with, with rights, with policy, education, gender, religion. How can you best work in such an area? What, what, what is the issue with intersection? Okay, thank you, Richard. I think the first thing is to understand those intersectionalities. What are they that can actually impact on an individual? So here I'm thinking of, the one that we are talking about disability, there might be gender, there might be um, ethnicity, there might be culture, religion, there might be issues of policy, there might be issues of uh, resourcing, and all those things that can impact on one particular child, and all these things, they affect the person or the system. So we, as a country, we might say, okay, we, we ratified the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, and Article 24 talks about inclusive education. So yeah, we have done it, but we have not domesticated it to make sure that the, um, the, our system benefits from uh, ratifying the convention. So if we don't translate it uh, to a local um, platform, then it becomes very difficult. So, then it means we need to look at our policies and see how can you, we can harmonize them. And then it doesn't end there. We then look at uh, how then are we going to implement it? What are the barriers that can affect us in all, when we want to implement inclusive education? So we then look at all other you know, domains that can affect, that, that can intersect with, uh, with, with, with disability. And then you, you kind of, um, raise awareness, capacitate people, stakeholders, policymakers, so that when they talk of inclusive education, they don't see it as a standalone thing that needs to be offered to children with disabilities, because that's another aspect, which is a challenge. When you go to some schools, now it's getting better, but we used to go to the schools and when they see me, they'll say, oh, you have come to see your inclusive education children. And I said, which are these children? I said, oh, children with disabilities. So you see the misunderstanding now. Mm. So all these things, we really need to make them clear so that we all start at the same wavelength and understand what exactly we are doing. Yeah, fascinating. Now, Tsutsi, you're an associate professor at the University of Zimbabwe. You're visiting yeah. professor at, at several other universities. You sit on international boards as a disability and inclusive education expert. What took you down this path in the first place? Why inclusive education? Interesting, um, Richard. Many people ask me that question and people think maybe in my family there was a person with disability. And then my answer was no. And I had not even got into contact with uh, persons with disabilities at a close range until 19, 1986, when I was doing my first year college to train as a teacher. So I went to teaching for teaching practice. 
And in the class that I was teaching, a grade three class, there was this brilliant boy called Voice, and he was blind. So when I got into this class, I was like, okay, how am I going to teach this boy? So there was a system at the school. That's why I'm saying inclusion started a way, way back. So that was 86, and it was at this particular school called Murewa Primary School Mission. So what they did was there was a resource unit where there was a specialist teacher. So what I'll do with voice is if there's any work that I want to give other learners, I'll give them to voice and then he takes it to the resource teacher who transcribes them into Braille and brings back. That's so that when I'm teaching, he's following up with the rest of the class. And when I give him work to write, you, uh, you write everything in Braille. Once he finishes, he takes it to the resource teacher who transcribes everything and brings it back for me to mark. And then I say to this teacher, I, would, I wish I could not let voice come to you. I wish I could do what you are doing so that voice can, you know, I, I can help voice to the maximum. And then the teacher told me, oh, since you are just starting you're in your first year, you need to complete your four-year program. And then when you complete, you teach for two years, then you can go and specialize. And I'm like, okay. So I did my four years, I did my two years. As soon as I finished, I went straight to train as a specialist teacher. And I specialized in visual impairment because the voice had intrigued me. And I really wanted to make sure that I can support these learners, you know, when they are together with the rest of the learners and I could braille and transcribe for him. And that is actually what motivated me to go. That, little boy, a grade three learner who motivated me to be who I am today. Hmm, amazing. And isn't voice a wonderful name for someone who's so vocal <laughs> in that area? Exactly. I was yeah. like, wow, boy. So I've tried to look for this boy. I was going to say, are you still in touch? Man. What's what's the story? Now he's a mature man. I uh -huh. can't remember the same name. I know the first name. So it's, I've tried to Google to just check, but then when you don't have the second name, it's very difficult, but I keep on trying. I hope he's still alive. I can talk to him. If he's still alive and I meet him, I'll, you'll know I am what I am because of him. Well, voice, if you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's all the better for your for your kind support in those in those early days. Yeah. And I actually wrote that story in my thesis. <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah when i do my phd well it's a wonderful story um yeah, thank you you mentioned training as a teacher you you now work in developing the capacity of teachers can you tell me a little bit about that why is it so important that teachers are well trained when you're talking about inclusive education in inclusive education there are three key people the teacher the learner and the parent. And if that jigsaw puzzle is not well managed, it becomes very difficult to, to, to implement inclusive education. Because remember what I said, yes, we have social inclusion, but then we need to move ahead and make sure that there's also academic inclusion. So when learners come to school, they need to learn. And teachers, they are the keys that unlock the potential of learners. So if the teacher is a wrong key to unlock the potential, then it means we are hitting a hard rock. 
So there is need to ensure that they put different um, teaching methodologies so that they can practice differentiated learning and making sure they treat an, a, every learner as an individual and see how best they can actually unlock their potential. So you, you, that cannot be possible if the teachers are not well-trained in order to do that. So they should understand that they are the keys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've both been teachers. We can, uh, we can understand how important that is and how important that training is. From what you've seen in your work, what key things need to happen then to train teachers to have more inclusive classrooms? Okay. Yeah, it has been a debate uh, for quite some time, especially when we're developing our, reviewing our curriculum for teacher training colleges in Zimbabwe. But for me personally, when training teachers, I think we need to use a twin track approach. And the other part is we need to ensure that all teachers, they are trained in inclusive education, at least they should appreciate and understand the certain basics of inclusive education before they leave their colleges. So they need to, we need to have some modules that can be taught to all teachers. And then at the same time, we also need teachers who actually specializes, go deeper with inclusive education and maybe some specific areas where they can specialize also so that we, we, we also, we don't lose in terms of result, uh, human capacity. They now use, we use them as people with expertise who can move the inclusive agenda ahead because there is no way we can make everyone a specialist in inclusive education. Because we still need people who write our books, we need people who come up with new methods, new teaching methods. So these are the people we have specialized. So route number one, every teacher needs to have some modules on inclusive education. But at the same time, we need those who actually ground themselves in inclusive education, its dynamics, policy issues, um, pedagogics, methodologies, anything that we can talk about in detail, focusing on the diversity of learners that are usually marginalized in our education system. So mm. for me, I think that's a route that would enable us to achieve inclusive education. Yeah, so I suppose if you have those, that core group within a school of one, two or three teachers yeah. that really specialize in that, then they can perhaps help train other teachers in the school and help motivate other teachers and work with workers consultants within the school even. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I suppose that ties in somewhat to your work on universal design. Can you tell me a little yeah. bit about that? What is universal design? I'm sure people listening to this will have heard of it, but they may not know exactly <laughs> what it is. Okay, universal design, you are talking of um, anything that is used by individual should not only focus on the mainstream society, the usual you know, people that we are used to, people who can climb stairs, people who can just jump without any challenges, people who can just speak, people who can just see, but you are looking at, we, we adapt or we, we, we develop, we, we come up with um, anything that we want to use that can be used by a number of people. Like for instance, what I'm, uh, uh, like normally we have steps when we are going into the shops, but now we've got a ramp where 
it was it came up as a result of wheelchair users who were who need to also get into the shops or any other place or public building. But if you look at it now, the ramps are used by the majority of people because it's very easy. You know, it's you know, it's, it's just easy. So that's yeah, gonna, if I can if I can butt in there. That's the that's the key feature, right? You're you're making something easier for someone in a wheelchair, but you're not making it harder for everyone else. Isn't that exactly. the trick to universal design? Exactly. That's the trick. So, because now if you look at it, everyone is now enjoying the, 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 the ramps because it's easy to use rather than steps. And look at the automated car. Initially, when an automated car was designed, it was meant for people with um, you know, compromised muscles, feet muscles, uh, or, or hands, which makes them difficult for them to drive. So that's how the automated car came about. But now look, who, who is enjoying it? Everybody's mm. enjoying it. Yeah, so this is the kind of design that we want that cover a lot of people so that we can all enjoy. And then when we are talking, maybe another aspect is the issue of inclusive design. In inclusive design, at times we come up with these universal designs, but it, despite having done that, we might be missing on specific individuals. So that's when now you look at an individual, say, okay, the, this group of people, usually it's used by persons with, um, with a visual impairment who are blind. So that one becomes more specific to that particular person, but they still want to achieve the same goal to write and to read, which everybody else is doing. So we need to embrace the universal design and at the same time, also look at inclusive design to make sure that no one is left behind. Well, interesting. So this is a maybe a slightly difficult question, but <laughs> I'm asking it to everybody. I'm going to say we're we're in an education crisis. Okay, there's there's people that can't get to school, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of people within schools that are lucky enough to be there that aren't learning. Mm -hmm. What do we do about it? What would you do about it if you were if you were president of the world and you and you could and you could get us out of this learning crisis? What would happen? I I think I would make it a criminal offence not to send a child to school. Uh, why am I saying that? For me, yes, we have got human rights, but if you look at all the human rights. Education, the right to education is the key that unlocks other human rights. So once you deny me the right to education, practically you are denying me the right to everything because all these rights, I get the information through reading, through writing, through interacting with other people. And then if I have no access to education, then you have actually closed the door for me. Hence, I'm saying it's a criminal offense it will attract a heavy penalty. And it is working in one, in one district, in one district that I visited sometime last year, it's a place in Matebeleland uh, region of Zimbabwe. When in inclusive education was introduced by one organization, they worked very close with community leaders. And the chief in that district, understood inclusive education to the extent that if any parent does not send their child to school, 
they'll actually pay a cow. <laughs> why, 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 you know, I, I got to know this because when I visited this school, there were so many learners with disabilities. And I said, how did you manage this? That no, no, our chief is so serious. If you don't report that there's a child with disability not going to school, you are also fined. If you don't send your own child, you are also fined. And I thought, wow, to me, this is an advocate. This chief is an advocate of inclusive education. So yeah, for me, I think that sums it all. And finally, I think we need to understand how we can interpret SDG4 on the inclusive and equitable education in this Article 24 of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. If we are really serious as countries that have ratified these documents and inclusive education is our national strategy of providing education. There is no way you can provide genuine education if you don't take inclusive education as your philosophy as a country. Yeah, well, I have to say I agree. That's um, <laughs> that's really interesting to hear. I especially like the part about the uh, being fined a cow for not sending your. I might I might introduce that here in the UK if I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Cece, so much for for coming on and, and speaking with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, um, thank you very much, and I, I will. I'm sure I'll see you soon. Definitely, I know. <laughs> Our path always crossed. So thank you very much for your time and I wish you all the best with your project. Thank you very much. That was Titi Chitaika. If you'd like to hear more from experts in this field, remember to tune in every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now.